Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to Frank Film Club, the club for lovers and makers of film. I'm Maisie Williams. I am an actor and producer. I'm Lowry Roberts, and I'm a filmmaker and producer. Hello, I'm Hannah Williams, and I am a casting director. And welcome to our club. Take one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Frank Film Club. We are so happy to have you with us today. We are going to be chatting about the incredible classic 2001 A Space Odyssey which was written directed and produced by the incredible Stanley Kubrick this film was released in 1968 precisely one year before the actual first moon landing um but before we get into all of that girls how you been ladies not girls we're not girls we're (laughs) grown-ups we're mature do you know what I keep on putting in emails what do you girls think and I need to stop doing it because we are women of the world. And um, yeah, I need to stop calling myself a girl at the age of 32. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think if you said, what do you women think? That sounds weird. <laughs> like that film, What Women Want. What do these women want? Yeah. What do you women want? <laughs> what is with that? Yeah, why does that sound weird? Why is that a bad thing? Mm, interesting. Interesting. Well... It doesn't. We're reclaiming it. <laughs> yeah, we're reclaiming that word. Um, well, this woman has been well and I've had a nice little bit of a holiday in mid Wales, which I loved. And it was lush and now I'm back to work and I feel even more exhausted than before I left for some bizarre <laughs> reason. I don't know why. But apart from that, Lush. How about you, Lowry? I'm really good, thank you. I also had a bit of a holiday. I went for a little camping trip in Devon just for the one night and went for a little dip in the sea with the dog. Actually, he didn't come in. He just watched me and was like, nope. (laughs) But it was great. What about you, Maze? Yeah, I've just, I feel like we all had very wholesome bank holiday weekends and it was just glorious. I also celebrated my birthday, which was fabulous. Um, yeah, just just the most spectacular four days. It feels really nice to um, not be on a film set where they do not let you have bank holidays off. It's like nice to like appreciate those because they are special. And we've got another one coming up soon. We've got loads this year. It's a big year, big old year, but not quite as big as the year 2001. <laughs> oh, smooth. Or 1968, depending on which way you're looking at it, really. <laughs> so, as I mentioned before, today we are chatting about 2001 A Space Odyssey, which was written, directed and produced by Stanley Kubrick. This is actually the first and only Stanley Kubrick film that I've watched. So we're not basing it on any other films today. We're just talking about this one. Um, but I feel like you guys might have watched some other ones, so we'll get there. The film stars the incredible Keir Dahlia as David Bowman and Gary Lockwood as Frank Poole. We also see the incredible William Sylvester as Hayward Floyd and Douglas Rain voices um, the Howl 9000. Some iconic 
characters and performances in this film. It was developed concurrently with Arthur C. Clarke's novel 2001 A Space Odyssey and Kubrick said that the novel came about after they had done a 130 page treatment of the film um, and yeah started the book from the very outset so I would say like what did you think but I want to know like what did you guys know about this film before you watched it I had actually seen it before which I didn't realize basically when me and my boyfriend got together we did a little like film swap because he works in film as well and we both really love film I showed him the ones that I loved and like made me excited about film and working in film and then he showed me some of his choices and and this was one of them but I couldn't really remember it and I feel like maybe we started talking about film or I don't know we just started chatting throughout it and we didn't really um focus on it um, this time around, obviously, I definitely focused on it. And I think I caught a lot more um, of what makes it special because you, you do have to have no distractions because it's so quiet in a lot of it. Um, and um, yeah, it, w- it, it wouldn't be one that I would pick up to watch myself, but I um, I really loved it. And that's what I knew about it before I had watched it, but I couldn't remember it. (laughs) I didn't know anything about this film. I had seen stills from it before, but I didn't even realise that it was from this film. I was the same. I went into this kind of cold. I always grew up thinking I didn't really like sci-fi, but I think that I was just shown sci-fis that I didn't enjoy. And later on in life, I've discovered... uh, sci-fis particularly interstellar that was kind of what got me through the door and then as i've sort of started watching more movies with you guys i know that this was a big influence for interstellar and so i was just like do you know what it's it's a classic it was like flashing up on my apple tv so i was like let's just give it a go if you'd have told me that i would love like a practically silent two and a half hour movie I just, I would not have believed you, but this is just, there's something about it that I find really hypnotic. What was your reactions? Well, first of all, it was really quiet, but it was also at times really, really loud. Like it was really one way or the other for me, like with the apes at the start. So for a lot of the introduction, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm not in the mood I know that I can be in the mood for that kind of thing sometimes, but I wasn't. However, by the time we're with Hal and actually in like the main shuttle, I was in and I was all for it and I loved it. And visually I was like stunning, but I did struggle with the introduction up to there. I must say. You're not alone in that. When they premiered this movie, a lot of people in the hundreds walked out and they were like, what does this mean? I don't get it. It's silly. And I think for like the first portion, the section with the apes and then sort of going to the moon, you're like, what is this? Where are we going with this? Kind of. And like there is the monolith, but it you're not really, don't know why it should mean any, like anything you don't know why you should be following it, I guess. Um, but yeah, going into that sort of dawn of the, like dawn of man section, um, what do you think that the monolith like signifies? And like, what do you, what do you think you learn from that if you look at it in retrospect? Well, I think that might be why I didn't get into it the first time. And the thing is as well, that portion is so elongated that you, you know, if it was just a a short little introductionary piece and then you went into the space stuff, 
it might be a little a little bit easier to digest, but it, it really does go on for a long time. And I just didn't understand the the box. But then um The box? I'm dying. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> the the monolith. The black box. So, but, <laughs> the gift wrapping box that arrived. <laughs> it looks like um it looks like a USB stick that they just like played it <laughs> When the USB stick arrives. Um I didn't really know what was going on. Um, And then obviously when it's there at the end then as well. Um, However, Warren has sort of explained it to me a little bit now. So I do understand it a little bit more, but I would not have got to that conclusion myself. So I'm I'm not going to say what he told me because I want to know what Lowry thinks as well. Yeah, well, I also was like trying to figure out the meaning. What do I think this means? don't have a bloody clue not gonna <laughs> lie I actually can't I think by the time it got to the end it felt very um well I I guess interstellar also have you seen um Annihilation yeah like at the end of that film I was just like I don't have a bloody clue what's just happened but also still kind of love that film so really couldn't figure out what was going on but was also still intrigued I feel like at the beginning, when I was sort of going back through it again, right after they touch the monolith, because like they look at it and they freak out and then there's like a really long scene where they finally all go up and touch it. After that point, it seems like you start seeing man like using tools and like, I guess they're supposed to be homo sapiens because there was like a bunch of different species and then humans came from homo sapiens and they like ended up taking over all of them and so you start to see them like fighting off the other like species and like becoming conscious and i feel like that maybe plays into the end a little bit i want to jump over to the moon (laughs) let's go (laughs) so what do you think of the 60s depiction of what 2001 is going to look like the food looks disgusting and i know that it's just because they were on a spaceship but then they're just like slurping up liquidized food oh my gosh that was horrible they i think they got a lot of it like scarily close like they've got the screens on the back of the chairs they've got a video call so a lot of this stuff is really like like part of his imagination and i think they call it the video phone or they no, they call it they don't even call it that they call it like the picture phone no picture telephone something like that and like hal being like this voice activated robot a thing i don't know if it was in 2001 so i mean it probably was but now it's like so commonly used that is a bit freaky also on that little space station they had this thing and it said the hilton like airspace or something like that isn't it funny like in the 60s they were like well if someone's going to own part of space it's going to be the hilton because they own the most like you know, property on earth or whatever like you know but now we're actually seeing that we're seeing it with like virgin with like amazon with spacex like people actually are buying space right now and it's not any of it's not a hotel company it's like yeah travel yeah it's it's quite freaky how how just things you, like you can relate them to actually what's happening now and stuff that's going to happen in the future as well. But the thing that wasn't right was that um, men were still sort of ruling everything. I there was only white people there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the fashion in the hair was just like quite obviously still very like 60s, 70s. 
they didn't think that that would um, progress at all. We'd still have white men doing everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is funny. It's like, I like to think of it all as like stylized and not as like, I'm like, oh, this is like imaginary, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right, guys. So let's talk about how. What, what did you, what did you think of him? I just think it's so incredible that you can make like such a haunting character from just a voice on like the same still image. I felt really freaked out by him did you find it did you find it boring no not at all as soon as we're in on jupiter mission absolutely not and isn't that wild like how do we not find that boring well something about the atmosphere that's created especially you know when he goes in to turn it off with the with the breath Mm. of him hearing that and hal's voice being so laxid what's laxadaisical mean that's probably not the word laxadaisical yeah laxadaisical oh my god that's the word oh my god oh my gosh we are every day school day what does it mean laxadaisical means lacking enthusiasm and determination carelessly lazy i mean he's not carelessly lazy but i just thought the voice having actually a bit of personality um whilst also being like relatively monotone just those little notes of personality made it more um eerie what do you think of like his malfunction do you think that is simply just a plot point or do you think it plays into the wider story and like all of the meaning at the end do you think that he does actually malfunction well from what i sort of like understand the monolith being at the beginning at the dawn of man is there to take homo sapiens through into the next stage of evolution and then the monolith being at the end is watching him in that weird space room thing not space as in like the weird space physical space um to watch him so that it goes to the next stage of evolution like hal becomes conscious and I think that might be like saying that's the next stage of evolution is AI is going to be part of humans. That's pretty terrifying. But but also really, it's true. Like it, like AI is becoming conscious. Like it will become conscious at some point. If that's what it's about, I mean, is that what it is? That's what I've read, that this film really is about AI. In terms of the ending, I've, he- I've read a lot of different things. I listened to this one interview with stanley kubrick um and he speaks about the ending and he says that you know these monoliths are like all seeing all knowing higher intelligence and they come down to earth to help humans sort of like evolve um and then at the end they have this guy bowman and they are the room that he's in is kind of like French decor, but it's like kind of wrong and off. And that's because like when we build zoos, like we are like, this is the jungle section, but it's like not really the jungle. And so they wanted it to feel like familiar, but also wrong. And it's kind of like these higher intelligence, this higher intelligence is watching uh, and studying him. And then when the baby thing kind of goes through, 
it kind of signifies like going back to earth with all of this like new knowledge and like what that might do for like the human race whoa whoa um, so when we finally do jump over to the Jupiter mission um, and uh, they're on the Discovery One, um, we see this shot of him running around like the space station, jogging, punching, training. How do you guys think that they shot that? I'm guessing it was like a revolving stage. What did you think, Han? Well, I, I, I'm sitting next to a... Um, 2001 geek so there's no way I could ever form my own opinion on what was going on and then this is <laughs> so <laughs> I knew it was a revolving sack they did they built like a cent- centrifuge is that what they call it centrifuge um, yeah in a studio how much of this film do you think was done outside versus inside or like outside on locations oh I thought it was all on a sat build I thought it would all be, yeah, like studio. But then I suppose that would have to be a pretty massive studio. Okay, I guess that wasn't a very good question. Oh. Because, yeah, it was all done inside in a studio. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can I just bring up the bit uh, where he actually goes through the vortex? It's just like the most stunning thing. And then you have those still stills of him like, ah. it was just brilliant. And it went on for so long and I could have quite happily just kept on watching it for a really long time. Yeah. They call that the Stargate sequence. Um, and it's like one of the most famous special effects like sequences in the history of filmmaking. And it was created by an artist called Douglas Trumbull. And it was using a, a technique called slit scan photography. Basically, what you do is you have like a piece of black glass in the front with like a slit cut out of the middle and you have a piece of black glass in the back. Um, and then he basically had all of these like trippy pictures and lights and he had them like somewhere in the middle. And then you move the camera like forwards and backwards and it made like these two dimensions that are like joining and like leaving god they were way ahead of their time there like are there youtube videos of like behind the scenes or is there there are okay i need to have a watch because i am so intrigued about yeah the making of it i just want to see it the film did win an oscar for its visual effects um it was nominated for best director and for original screenplay and for best art direction. Clark, who is the author of the book and the writer on the film, um, he felt like it should have won the Oscar for the eight man makeup, but the honorary award went to um, Planet of the Apes, which had come out in the same year. Oh, I really want to see what those apes look like. I haven't seen, I haven't seen that film or any of those films. Do you know what the budget was for this? I think it was $10.5 million. See, that is so mad because the I was having a look and the interstellar budget, do you know what that is? Oh, God. Over oh, gosh. That was $165 million. Oh, my god! And this was 10.5 million. That's so ridiculous because this is still amazing. That's not just inflation. Yeah. That's- <laughs> yeah. And do you know, all of his like special effects, they're not done on the computer. They're done on film. Crazy. They're all photographs that he like cut out and... Miniatures. Yeah, the whole thing. And I guess that's like, it's maybe more time consuming, but maybe cheaper, but it just, I don't know. It looks better in my opinion. 
this looks unbelievable and I would much prefer to watch something that looks like this yeah because um you you just get so much more texture and I suppose that is partly because it's shot on film and a lot of the new ones wouldn't be shot on film but I must all I think that is also part of the it being practical effects but visual effects are so expensive I don't so I don't imagine that it's that much more expensive if it's just time consuming on the other side. I really don't understand why it's gone that way. Maybe it's just like the easier thing to do because you just give someone the money and they do it. Can I ask a question? Yeah. This it must it will sound like a really stupid question, but why is VFX so expensive if it's are you talking about like computer generated stuff? Like why is it so expensive? I worked in a VFX um office for a bit. I think they just like chuck a price on it well actually i suppose the computers have got to be like mega because they're just like rendering massive things the whole time but also i think because it's quite like a specialist thing they just can i mean i'm probably saying this and then some vfx person might listen and be like bullshit (laughs) (laughs) calling you out yeah (laughs) but i know that that's the way that people would rather do it you know you'd rather have you don't want to train a bunch of like dancers to like jump around like apes and you don't want all of those people to be in hot sweaty suits all day like you want to just have like some ping pong balls on your head and it to be you know I, like I get it it's so much easier and like maybe that's you know maybe it's like traumatic being in one of those suits for so long and it's horrible and that's like why people would like rather you know do visual effects and I think that you know it irons out a lot of things but if we're just talking about the visuals this is this is better than what we are served up today ladies and gentlemen (laughs) how how many minutes do you think it is before the first line of dialogue is spoken like 20 30 30 is it I don't know the exact minute, but about half an hour in is when the first line is said. And even then it's like muttering to each other when they're in the elevator kind of thing. It felt like a really long time. I actually, I think I paused it for a day. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a commitment. And then I do think that it's got a good enough payoff. But do you think it's got a good enough payoff for for all of that? Be honest, it's fine. Uh, I think... um, If you're fully focused on it and you're just enjoying the viewing experience, yeah, I think it is worth it. But the payoff, I think it's very difficult to fully understand how everything connects. And so for me, the payoff was speaking about it afterwards. Yeah. I really don't know, you know, because it finished and then I was like, what the bloody hell was that? (laughs) And mum was like, what happened? And I was like... I don't know. And then then I went on to Wikipedia to read the plot because I was like, I've really missed something here. I read the plot and I was like, yeah, yeah, got, yeah, got that. And what? (laughs) But I I was also, (laughs) so I was glad to know that I didn't just like miss something massive. I just didn't get it. But I now knowing that you're not really meant to get it. I think I just needed to spend a bit more time thinking about it and I didn't have any immediate chats afterwards with someone to be like, what do you think? Well, I wonder if I wasn't with Warren, what I would have come up with by myself. Probably big fat nothing, to be honest with you. Um, (laughs) But I do also like that I don't know. Everything about the world and the universe just blows my mind. 
And so you can just keep thinking about it. And I know that I'm never going to understand it, obviously. So that's fine. Well, it's like, you know, um, Prano last week was saying that she she knows the truth of like what actually happens in it, but she wants to keep the conversation going so she'll never say. Like we're sat here speaking about this film that was made in 1968 because it is so ambiguous. Well, certain parts can be left up to your own interpretation. So it's good, um, good tactic to keep the convo going. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now it's time for In, In the, the Club. Club. Welcome back to In the Club, the portion of the episode where we get to speak with you, our lovely listeners. We asked you over on Instagram if you have any thoughts or feelings on 2001 A Space Odyssey. And we got some questions and we want to answer them for you now. So the first question that we got was from Valor56 and they said, what emotions did you get from this movie? Existential dread. (laughs) I felt like this is so hypnotic. I'm having so much fun. This is beautiful. And I thought, isn't this a Stanley Kubrick movie? Aren't they supposed to be scary? And then, (laughs) and then I felt scared. I felt really scared when... Yeah, everything was going on with Hal when he was turning off Hal, when Hal was singing Daisy, Daisy. Oh, my gosh. Um, And then all the way through to the end, I just thought it was terrifying. Yeah, I would agree, actually. It's just all that all the hell bits. And he's just like watching them, their mouths move when they've tried to speak in secret. And you just it was just his character really freaked me out. And. But I also loved watching him. Can I ask you girls a question? Yeah. So we're talking about existential dread. We're talking about like scared, like loads of questions and stuff, talking about how. Did this make you want to turn off your Alexa and like Google Home devices? Because like smart TVs and stuff have cameras in them. Are you scared of stuff like that? Not really. I mean, we should defo be aware, but like for the most part, I'm always like, Google just guessed what I was talking about. Oh no, but like actually kind of inconvenient because like that's what I'm about to Google. (laughs) I find it so helpful. Yesterday, yesterday I was looking for an armchair and me and Warren were like, yeah, it's a really small space. Maybe we should get something which is like a beanbag or something. Went on my Instagram, sponsored ad, beanbags. That's so mad. Helpful. <laughs> Helpful. And I feel, I feel like every time it happens, I'm like, oh my God, mad. But it's happened so many times now. And it is convenient. Yeah. It is kind of yeah. convenient. Oh God. Like people should probably know so as they can opt out. Um, but like, 
if it could just be put in the cart, bought on Apple Pay, sent to my house. <laughs> Amazing. I feel like when you can opt out, it's like, okay, but you, if you opt out of this, you opt out of like everything you can use on your phone and, the, and they like may, make it so that it gets rid of loads of other features that you... They're blackmailing us. Yeah, they do a bit. Mr. Classico Rex asks, did you girls notice what letters come after each of the letters for H-A-L? For how? There was IBM written at the bottom. What does that mean? Oh, is it next in the alphabet? So H-I-A-B-L-M. How? <gasps> oh, I get it. Oh, and IBM is what? IBM is an international business machines corporation in an American multinational technology corporation in New York. And they started in 1911. Wow. I wonder if that was on purpose. Chris the Sith 05. Yes, Chris. Yes. Um, Chris says, I read somewhere the budget for sci-fi movies is usually capped at $20 million. Is that a true story? Well, no, because we talked about Interstellar and that was 162, do you say? 165, yeah. I think, yeah. 165 million. Maybe at that time. Yeah. Yeah, because this was also Star Wars era, well, it came just after, or maybe there was a bit of Star Wars before and then Stanley Kubrick did this and then everyone was like, oh gosh, we've got to up our game. We can't just be, yeah, we've got to take sci-fi seriously. But perhaps. Yeah, I wonder why that would be. And like, who is capping it? I wonder what that... Well, it's probably studios for return on this type of film. And also budget for this type of film could go a lot bigger. Yeah. Of the time, um, sci-fi was for kids. Like, adults did not go and watch sci-fi. And if you did, you were strange. And this film was what really put the genre on the map of the universe yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm sure that's when, why we started to see budgets increase from then onwards yeah massively what is your favorite sci-fi film we've ever seen this one. Oh wow probably interstellar but that's also like so basic what about i don't think it <laughs> i think that's like everyone's a lot of people's favorite sci-fi it's Annihilation sci-fi, isn't it? It's Ex Machina sci-fi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ex yeah. Machina is probably a top one. Yeah, that's such a good film. I always used to say that, well, Her, I've always said that Her is my favourite film and I would call that a sci-fi. Yeah, defo. Yeah. But I just, I feel like this film walked so that films like that could run. Gosh, you're so right. And when I look at Her and I look at, I'm like, it's sci-fi, but like, it's beautiful, that's what Stanley Kubrick did. Like, he made it mesmerizing. So as, yeah, these other films could follow. What about yours, Han? Um, well, I, was, I asked because I, I don't think I've seen that many, but actually I have seen a lot, I suppose. Um, I love her. I love him. <laughs> I mean, I know. <laughs> I love Bay. <laughs> no, I love <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, Joaquin, don't I? But um, no, I, I I love her. Just something that feels like grounded in some sort of emotional, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, connection is uh, is great. But I also love Interstellar just overall. Like I will uh, on an afternoon listen to the soundtrack when I'm doing work. Stanley Kubrick um, had someone make an entire score for 2001: A Space Odyssey, um, 
and it was made by a guy called Alex North and then he scrapped it all and put in all of these like iconic um, classical songs. Then in Interstellar, the collaboration between Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan, it's like that's what makes the movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to find like origi- like iconic um, classical songs that have not been used in, in other films now. Um, but for at the time, this was like revolutionary. Oh, great fact. Why did they scrap the score? He just didn't, it wasn't right. He just needed it. Yeah, it wasn't what he wanted. But he, but the composer didn't know. And then he went to the premiere and realized that none of his songs were <gasps> horrific. Is he credited on the film? Oh my gosh. I don't know. That's so sad. Um, well, the songs that were used then, but I, because I was watching it and was like, oh my God, these are like these mega songs. Is this where they were originally put in? But now you're saying, no, he used, he used them, which were already like massive songs before. Yeah, they were like known before, but in terms of like using them for like the cinematic impact, like just the weekend before I watched this film, I watched Bruce Almighty and they use that like dun, 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 dun. Yeah, like they use that in Bruce Almighty, like when he's like standing at the top of like the Empire State Building or something like that. Um, And I'm like, this is where it comes from. And then I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm like, I know that at the time it was funny that that song was playing because it's like, iconic but this is why we think of those sounds as as having those emotions like before that they were just songs and then this kind of gave them like some deeper meaning of like the creation of man which is like so massive but it was already a song beforehand it wasn't originally yeah. oh damn I, yeah oh, see i see Thank you so much for sending in your questions. We love to have them. Um, so, final thoughts. I'm so glad you picked this film. Just to say as well, we didn't, this wasn't on the original plan, but you watched this film and you were like, you text us that night and was like, we should do this on Film Club. And I'm so glad we did. Even though I've watched it before, I think Frank Film Club, this thing that we're doing um, <laughs> really <laughs> makes me um, pay a, a lot more attention and this film needs attention and just from the conversation today to think about how many things have come from Stanley Kubrick's imagination and how groundbreaking it was and how things are influenced by it now is just so exciting to dive into so thanks for picking it Maze. You are so welcome. I'm. I'm. It's such a pleasure to talk with you guys about it, Lowry. Like, what? Yeah. How? How are you feeling? Yeah. I. I actually want to rewatch it. I feel like I haven't given this film that much love in this episode, but I. But I want to watch it again to understand more and see if I can figure out what I think it means, um, or maybe just come up with my own. Yeah, come up with my own feelings towards it. I think it's definitely just a good one to chat about and throw ideas around. Not that I had much to bring to the table today, but <laughs> a rewatch <laughs> should help. What about you, Maze? Actually, something I was thinking about, I started watching it on my TV and then film buffs don't kill me. I finished watching it on my laptop, but I finished watching it on my laptop with my headphones, like noise cancelling headphones. And because the sound design is so important in this movie, I was locked in. I was glued, even though it was a smaller screen and like not the best setup whatever um so give it a go maybe on the laptop with your headphones because oh okay yeah that sounds good 
it was kind of and if 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 it's ever playing it's one of those movies that like every now and then a cool cinema will put it on we should go oh uh, definitely you know what I actually think it is uh, um, (gasps) the Prince Charles yeah it is right now in like the next few weeks (gasps) guys let's go we should go yes yeah okay oh yeah honestly so yeah love this film Um, complete surprise to me I thought like I didn't know if I would really Um, and I thought I'd have to like pretend like if I was talking to someone who loved this film (laughs) (laughs) But I do. I really love it. And I um, I think that it's really special. And I love the impact that it's had and will continue to have on the film industry and sci-fi as a genre. Um, so thank you for indulging and thank you for watching it. I loved chatting with you guys about it. Love it. Same. Was fab. Great choice, Maze. Ah. What's next? Next week, we're going to be talking about Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, which is a feature documentary directed by Amir Thompson, a.k.a. Questlove. It was released in 2021. The story is made up of unseen archive footage from the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. It won the BAFTA and Academy Award for Best Documentary this year. So it's well worth a watch. It's available to watch on Disney+. Plus, um, and so give it a watch and I hope you enjoy. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to give it a five-star rating. It really, really helps us to keep doing what we do. And make sure you follow us on at Frank Film Club on Instagram to stay up to date with all the latest film club news. Now, go and watch Summer of Soul or 2001 A Space Odyssey if you haven't seen it already. And enjoy. Bye. This podcast was presented by Wrapped.